Welcome to Breakthrough Cocktail. We're mixing up happiness, good life skills, and adding a dash of improv to help you live an awesome life. Please give it up for your breakthrough mixologist, Gary Ware. Welcome to another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. I'm your host, Gary Ware, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Scott Lost. He's a comic book extraordinaire, ex-pro wrestler, and we're going to jump all into that. Welcome to the show, Scott. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. And it wouldn't be a Breakthrough Cocktail podcast without something to drink. And today, since we are in the awesome studio of Scott, he has provided a very delicious Moscato. Do you know what kind of Moscato this is? Uh, I don't know. I had it. I had bottle in hand, and I, I didn't look. Here we go. Well, I was just uh, yeah, looking. I was like, what do we have in the cabinet? So, cheers. And it's actually very tasty. Yes. All right, so let's get into it. Scott, so for the people who are not familiar of what you do, can you talk about your comic series and, and what you're currently doing? Uh, sure. Yeah, the comic series is called The Second Shift. Uh, it's about a young superhero team coming up and learning to learning how to deal with being superheroes on top of being a normal, normal people, having normal jobs that you and I would have. So not so much how, like, uh, Peter Parker would be able to go take pictures of Spider-Man. So he's fighting crime and making money at the same time. Clark Kent, he writes a story about Superman saving the world from a meteor. So, you know, in a roundabout way, they're getting paid to be superheroes. Um, our characters are stuck at normal nine to five jobs like you and I would have. Uh, one works at a restaurant. One works at uh, Fish World, which is like Sea World. <laughs> Another one is a college student. She didn't have a job. She just has like a large amount of debt, you know, uh, student student loans and all that and then uh the fourth the fourth hero he is uh he works at the comic book store so cool uh which is really cool but you don't get paid a lot working at a comic book store sometimes you get paid in comics um and so all four of them live in a three-bedroom apartment and they don't have a batmobile they have a beater van that they go around (laughs) fighting crime in it's like a like an 88 toyota van um so, uh, yeah, so that's that's what the book's cool. about. So it's all about balancing superhero stuff and everyday stuff. Wow, it's a comic book that we can all pretty much relate to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, so let's jump back in and talk about how we got there. You, you've you lived thus far a very extraordinary life. You've done pro wrestling. You're into comics. Um, let's talk about how you got into that. Have you always been into art and wrestling? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've always been into art. I've been drawing since I was a little kid. And um, that's actually what I wanted to do with my life. I've always wanted to draw comic books. Um, and so it just, as time went on, I was I actually used to train myself. I used to go, okay, well, you can't go outside until you finish this page of art. You know, and that's when I was like um, 10 years old, 11 years old. So uh, I already knew, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Or, you know, you get your first idea, I want to be a cowboy or I want to be an astronaut yeah. or something. And usually you go away from it. Um, but for me, I always wanted to draw comics and that never changed over the years. And the more years I was doing it, the more serious I got about it. Um, and then I took a 10 year break, uh, out of nowhere. Uh, I always loved pro wrestling. Pro wrestling has been a huge thing for me my entire life. You know, when I was a little kid it was just, I would watch that you know, little Lakers, Bulls stuff, but then it was mostly pro wrestling and, you know, cartoons, of course. So, um, me and my friends would goof around in the backyard on a trampoline and, you know, it's safe stuff. We weren't doing crazy backyard stuff. It was like, I would write out matches and then me and my friends, we would perform the matches on the trampoline. And then, uh, I met, I met a guy, uh, he was a friend of a friend and he wanted to be a pro wrestler. And I was like, Oh, I never wanted to be a pro wrestler. It's just fun to do in the backyard. And he's like, you should go, uh, check out a training with me. And so we went up to LA 
and uh, it was Ultimate University, which was uh, UPW, and Ultimate Pro Wrestling, and that's where John Cena came from. And so we went there for uh, one of their training, one of their classes, and we were just watching, and to see people in the ring that were the same size as us, it was really, like, motivating. We're like, oh, we're, we're definitely we'll be better than those guys and you know we do better stuff in the trampoline than them or whatever so um we just got into it we started training and then um it just kind of took off and you know for 10 years i was doing it on the independent scene uh i helped start a pretty famous indie company called pro wrestling gorilla um and so but after after about eight years i was like you know what it's becoming less fun it's becoming more of a job and so for me i was like that's kind of where I'm done. So, uh, you know, within like, I was, I let everyone know, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be retiring, you know, maybe, you know, at this time or whatever. And so I decided to give it one more year. So like the, that was at the uh, eight and a half year mark. So I was like, I'm going to give it a full, full like year just to, to say my goodbyes and kind of like a farewell tour. And so I did that and I, you know, it was a total of 10 years that I was doing pro wrestling, but, uh, it was just time to move on. Like my body was breaking down and, and, wow. um, the last couple of years I had rediscovered my love of art. And so I was drawing a lot more and I was working on the comic and, um, uh, lucky enough, my writer, uh, you know, obviously he's into comics, he's writing comics, but uh, he was also a pro wrestler. So we would always be talking comic books and Bruce Lee and whatever. And so he'd always try to get me to, to draw one of his stories. But like for me, it takes me forever to draw pages that I was working on my stuff. So I said, hey, what do you think about you writing my comic? And so he was pretty excited about that. I had him and another friend uh, who was also in the, the wrestling business, like they were both writers. So I was like, both of you guys tackle this. Here's a quick, uh, you know, this is what each character is about. Here's a little scenario. Uh, put them in the scenario. Just let me know what you come up with. Just shoot me, shoot me something, a couple of paragraphs. And um, so one of my, uh, my main writer, he nailed the heroes. Like all of their voices sounded like the voices in my head. So that was really exciting for me. It's like, whoa, I'm reading a story about my characters. Like it sounds like them. And so I was really, really motivated by that. And my other friend, he actually nailed the villain. Like the villain sounded like the villain. He acted like the villain, you know, that I had written and drawn before. So I was just like, wow, this is, this is great. And so from there we started uh, rolling and, you know, plotting stuff and putting stuff together. That's so cool. And it just seems like it just all fit together. Yeah. Is that the case? It just, were there any struggles and bumps along the way once you started rediscovering your love for comics? Um, well, the only bumps in the way were, were really that I was still wrestling. So, uh, for me, you know, I'm, I'm very good at multitasking, but it's one, it's something like two things that I have a passion for. That's where the conflict comes in. So I couldn't wrestle and draw. Like I couldn't go, well, I can draw Monday through Friday and wrestle on the weekends wrestling. You know, if you're, if you know, you're a weekend warrior or whatever, you're wrestling on the weekends. It really, it's more than just the weekend. Cause for me, I don't know how it is for everybody else. I would think about the match coming up or the matches coming up all week long. So I'd be constantly just thinking of ideas and, you know, plotted things out in my head and how I wanted things to go. So uh, when I was wrestling, it was it was more difficult to concentrate on the art. And that's why I actually took a break from, from drawing all those years. Like I could doodle stuff. I could, you know, draw a piece here and there, but like that's all the time I had for it. Uh, and comic books, you know, anyone that's in the comic book 
you know industry or actually just familiar with it, uh, you know that to draw a page takes hours and hours. I mean, I'm not the fastest artist, so it legitimately takes me anywhere from 10 to 12 hours per page. Wow. So, so it's a lot of work. So it's a lot of time where I'm just behind my desk uh, drawing and watching, you know, some some TV shows on while I'm drawing, just so it sounds like someone's there with me. Yeah, you know, because it's really like lone, lone process. Like you're just by yourself majority of the time. Cool. All right. So before we get into the art, I really want to get into this this wrestling scene because mm -hmm. you see the wrestling that's on TV and it's and it's entertainment, right. but you're actually doing. Um, you know, wrestling, you know, independent style wrestling. And, and I had uh, the pleasure to see a lot of it. And I can only imagine that it's, it's pretty intense on your body. Can you yeah. talk about you know, what it, what it was like, you know, the whole training, you know, maybe a week in the life? Um, when I first started training, it was, it, it's fun. It's really fun at first. And, and, you know, not that it gets, it does get less fun, you know, like, a lot, you know, everything with, uh, repetition, you, it gets easier, but at the same time, it's not as enjoyable. Um, when I was starting off, I actually got injured a lot. Um, my trainer actually gave me my first concussion. Oh, wow. So yeah, I took a spinning wheel kick uh, to the head and he was such a big guy. Just He was like, you know, over six foot and he's just, you know, built like a brick house. He's just, you know, jacked and then he's just really athletic. So, you know, a spinning wheel coming, you know, yeah, coming exactly. towards your head and, you know, I could block it as best as I could, but the momentum, it sent me crashing down and, you know, whipping my head into the canvas and just instantly concussed. Um, so that happened a couple of times just in training. And then, uh, over the years, like my right knee is destroyed. Like I, after I stopped wrestling, I started playing basketball a lot more just to stay active, stay fit. And, uh, like, I think I need to go to a doctor cause my right knee is yeah. messed up. So I actually can't play right now. Um, and just, you know, there's things that'll happen like in matches just things you'll never be able to plan for and so uh, I'm pretty sure I've destroyed my right rotator cuff my shoulders messed up and like it affects my ability to lift weights like over my head like overhead bench and stuff like that I can't really do that kind of stuff because because of wrestling just the injuries that take place so, got it yeah. and have you been very acrobatic or good at gymnastics or is this something that you learned over the years in the sport? Um, well, actually, just the way we started off, like me and my friends being on the trampoline, like I was able to do a lot of different flips like right away. It was, you know, something I picked up yeah. easily. So being in the ring, it's just a different kind of, uh, uh, you know, acrobatic that I would be doing. You know, obviously, it's not going to be as easy to do like a double back flip or anything like that. But, um, you know, you me personally, I know my body, I know where my limitations are, what I can and can't do. So uh, I did wrestle with a very like, uh, acrobatic style, I would say, um, grounded most of the time, but I would go to the top, you know, uh, a couple of times during, during per match. So, okay. Per match, so. Pretty cool. And your character, that's where Scott Loss came from, I assume. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And was he, I guess, a good guy or a bad guy um, in wrestling terms or was it? Right. Uh, uh, when I first started, I was I was a good guy. Um, Bret Hart was my all-time favorite wrestler, so I kind of like tried to pattern the way I would move, um, the way I would act in the ring, like after him. And then after a while, it just became natural to do those things. It was it didn't feel so much like me trying to act like him. It was just kind of how I did things. And then um, 
you know, and then over the years, just more and more stuff like influences from the rest of my life would come into my character. And, and so I was heavily into Bruce Lee and martial arts, Jet Li, you know, uh, Tony Jaw and all that stuff. So it was like watching all these different movies and, and watching like old school wrestling and just, you know, things that I liked in my everyday life, I would put that into my character. So my character became more refined, like towards the end of my run. Like I was definitely a solid character by the end of my run. So cool. So what you're saying is in the beginning you had your influences that molded the foundation, but over time you, it was more of like a piece of the puzzle, you know, it was just like, well, I have these couple of pieces. Hey, they fit great. So, but then you just build and build and build until, you know, you get the bigger, bigger picture. And so I'm pretty sure the question that is on everyone's mind is you're doing pro wrestling for 10 years. Yeah. Is that covering all of your expenses or did you still along this 10 year route have to have a day job? Oh yeah. Definitely had to have a day job for pro wrestling on the independent scene. Uh, the thing with pro wrestling is it's if, if you're not wrestling full time, you're, you can't live on pro wrestling, like pay. It's like what you get paid per match. It's pretty decent. And it ranges from your, your talent level and your, um, uh, I don't know your, your brand. Like if, if you're really popular with fans and a lot of fans want to watch you and you're get, getting booked a lot, then your price goes up because like, well, look, I got, I don't know if I can make that. I got to do this or whatever. And, and you know, promoters will know it's like, well, he's not really wrestling much anywhere else. So he's going to get paid, you know, X amount. Um, I think, uh, my first year year was the roughest when it came to pay, you know, obviously you're a rookie and you're starting out Uh UPW didn't pay their own talent. So like if you were trained there, and you're doing their big shows. They used to have the Galaxy shows, which were their with their big shows. Um, like I can't remember. I think it was once every three months or something like that. They would have these Galaxy shows, and pretty much all of the talent in on the show wasn't getting paid because they were trained at that school. And then you would have the few talents that they would fly in, um, the fly-ins as they're called. Uh, they would be getting paid, and no one else would be. And so, like for you being there, you're kind of like this kind of sucks. Like. Like, it's really fun wrestling in front yeah. of this large crowd, but man, I would love to get paid to do this, especially since when I was training, I was paying them, and then now I'm doing shows for them and getting popular, but I'm not getting paid back. So, but then as the years went on, like, um, you know, that changed. Okay. So. Great. And can you speak a little bit about how the matches are choreographed? Is it all pre, you know, predetermined on, hey, we're going to do this, or is it you have a framework and then you guys are improvising it's all on uh it's all on where you're wrestling basically you know a lot of people a lot of uh, federations a lot of companies uh they have you know a certain way they like to do it other other places they'll they'll kind of guide you a little bit more other places are very strict you have to do this you have to do that you have to be done within 10 minutes you know you have to be done within seven minutes or whatever you have to hit your marks and then that was one thing uh upw was really good at because they were uh somewhat of a farm system of the wwe at the time and so to be on tv you had to hit your time so you couldn't go one minute over and they would stress to you look you take one minute longer than you're supposed to that's one minute less triple h is supposed to be on the tv and if you're taking time away from triple h there's going to be a problem you're going to get fired so it was drilled into your head as you're being trained like if you ever think you're going to make it you better be able to make your times so okay and so how did that how did you stay on on mark because you're i assume like adrenaline is going and you guys are doing your your stuff and it's um it's 
when you're planning the match out, like that's what training's for. You know, you obviously learn how to take your bumps and and protect yourself as much as possible. It still messes you up. You know, every time you land in the ring, you're you're taking you know time off of your life basically. Every time you're landing, you're hurting yourself, and so you just you just know okay well this takes this amount of time or whatever okay. so eventually you structure the match like this is probably about give or take five and a half minutes and then you go from there and then um yeah so you, you just kind of train yourself on 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 that so. cool and did your character have any special moves or any sort of patented stuff that was like oh that's that's yeah awesome. yeah i had tons of stuff like that uh because i would take stuff from all other you know, walks of life. It wasn't just, uh, I think one of the problems with pro wrestlers is not all of them. Um, but you know, some of the people, the newer guys, like the new guys coming in, they don't think about everything else around them. There are other influences. And like I said, it took me years to get that down. So like I watched a lot of martial arts movies and so I would be like, okay, wow, that move from Ong Bak was really cool. And so like, he like climbs up the guy's leg and he like elbows him in the head. I was like, no one in pro wrestling does that. I'm going to incorporate something like that into my matches. So, so I would have tons of moves that were like specialties of mine. Uh, the I don't know. The main ones were uh, the big fat kill, which was my finisher, which was like uh, guys kneeling on the ground or he's sitting on the ground, whatever. He's just waist level, basically. However, I could get him there. Um, and it was like a spinning hook kick to the face, and so it was like a, a spinning super kick, basically. And um, I could actually hit that while they're standing as well. Uh, so I, took, <laughs> I took a year, uh, a couple of years of, of like martial arts. I was taking taekwondo and stuff like that. And later I was taking judo. Uh, so anyway, that was one of my moves. And um, a judo throw, I would actually incorporate judo throws into my matches because people weren't doing that in pro wrestling. So I was like, I could do that. That's cool. It's different. And then uh, another move, which has lasted my whole whole career, whole wrestling career, was a Superman spear. So which is me basically like taking off from the middle of the ring so if my opponent's in the corner uh, I would take off from the middle of the ring and kind of glide through the air oh, and wow. like uh, spear them in the stomach that's so cool yeah yeah and I think that's something that our the audience can take away whether they're doing wrestling or anything like that is don't underestimate the influences other than your normal right normal job or the normal thing that you're doing all of that can be incorporated to make something that is Pretty awesome. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I think so. Cool. All right, so let's let's move on. Uh, you've been doing the wrestling thing, and then you're really you know missing you know this other part of you, which is art. So can you talk a little bit more about what it was like uh, from that moment when you realized, all right, you know what, I need to do more art, and how you just transitioned and, and like what was going through your head at that point? I think uh, you know just like with everything, you you're really high on something. This stuff's really great, and then after a while, you've been doing it for a while. You kind of need to change things up, and that's how it was with pro wrestling. It was like okay, after you know like three years of doing it, I was kind of like okay, this is still really fun. But oh hey, I remember I used to draw a lot. That was fun, and then so I'd start to draw a little bit more, and and you know as time went on, I'd find myself drawing a lot more. But that would make my wrestling suffer. So um, I would either have, you know, I'd taper back. And uh, so, but that's just, over the years, it's how it was. Every couple of years, I kind of miss drawing. Because, you know, I was training myself when I was a little kid. So yeah. I, it was something I was used to. And, like, for it to be just gone out of nowhere was was uh, different. So I had to revisit it when I could. And then uh, probably, yeah, like I said, like around 28, so that's, that's when uh, the two-year mark, yeah. you know, for me stopping, I was like, oh, I really miss drawing, and so I started working on stuff, and that's where I got with my writers. Um, 
Um, he wrestled as Mr. Excitement and uh, Ed. So, yeah, I got with Ed and we started talking more comics. We'd always talk comics, you know, just casually in the locker room. You know, we'd bring stuff up or after the shows and, you know, we'd be having dinner or something. We would talk about it. And so uh, that's when we started, you know, bringing that, those things up. And then just the more we talked about, it, the more excited I got and the less wrestling I wanted to do. So I think that partially influenced my reasons for stopping pro wrestling. Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. And as far as your drawing capabilities, you're pretty much self-taught, right? Yeah. Moscato uh, break, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm self-taught. My, I inherited some ability. My, my dad, he's a painter, uh, so I inherited some of his ability. But, uh, you know, in college, I took a few classes just to kind of check different things out, you know? So I'm not just dipping from one pool. It's yeah. like, okay, well, I have this vision of what, you know, this hand is supposed to look like or this face is supposed to look like. But uh, I wanted to branch out. I wanted to find out other ways of thinking about things, you know, like how to draw a hand, a face, uh, you know, whatever. So I started taking classes just to refine my skills a bit. Um, I didn't take too many, but I took enough to where I felt like, oh, good. I've, I've learned new things and it makes me look at art differently than I used to. Got it. And when you're practicing or, or just refining your craft, how, I assume you write, you draw every day. Um, how yes. long do you spend just drawing? Um, it varies per day. I would say I average, average six hours. Some, some days I would be drawing more than that. Um, probably anywhere from like, like 12 hours like any more than that I, yeah. I think I would burn myself out but those are days where I'm like I have to finish this like I, I'm so close to finishing so I'll stay with it and I'll keep working cool yeah and so now let's transition a little bit into comic books so now you you decided hey we're gonna you know work on your piece can you talk about from just creating one uh, one issue like from beginning to end what's your process like uh, we actually all right, so so how we started out, uh, we're like, okay, well, this is we'll, we'll go by storylines. I was yeah. like, I want the first storyline to be uh, five issues, and then he'll okay, and I'm like, the first issue, I I kind of want this to happen. Uh, second issue, this, this, and this, and this. So he he kind of has his guideline. Ed has his guidelines on on our process, and so he'll go and he'll write the script. And he'll send it over to me. And uh, I'll go. This, you know, I'll read it over. We he works in prose forms. Okay. Uh, Which, uh, for those who are not familiar with that, so prose is like book form. So okay. like he'll just write write a script like it was a book. Okay. And then so I'll you know it's easy easy for me to visualize you know at that point because it's reading like a book. I'm like oh okay so I'm seeing all you know the frames in my head and what frames I want to keep and and all of that. Um, so he'll do that and I'll go. And I'll divide the script up by pages. So every time I read something, I'm like oh, so I'll draw a little, a little hand-drawn, um, like it's called. They're called thumbnails. They're tiny drawings. And so I'll just draw little little boxes, little panels. And I'm like, okay, so this page is going to fit together like this. And then I'll go uh, keep doing that until I get to the end of the script. And um, it's really cool because I get to visualize the story as it's coming in, as opposed to uh, other the way other writers do it is they'll do it per page. Like, okay, on this page, this happens. On this panel, this panel, this panel, this panel. Um, which is 
beneficial for time. Like that way is would be way quicker for me. Got it. Um, the way we do it, it's the benefit of that is I get to take take in the whole story and then process it how I want to do it. So, um, but we're I'm I've, we've been talking about switching to the more traditional style, which is like. Uh, you know, this happens on this page, Got it. but a uh, little bit more loose, kind of like, okay, th this whole paragraph, this is page one, two, three, four. Um, Cause what will happen is sometimes the script will be too long. So if, you know, you, you give me a prose script, um, there's no, you know, besides him going, okay, this is X amount of words. There's no way of him telling how long it's going to end up. Got it. Uh, you know, end up. So uh, I'll end up having to cut pages and stuff like that. So that's kind of the process for one issue. So then after I have all the thumbnails, I'll go in and I'll start drawing the pages. So. Okay. And on average, how long does it take you to draw a, a given page once you have this framework? Eight to 12 hours. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's... It's it's long. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a real long So you time. have to really have the love for it yeah. to keep going. Um, and just the way my, just the way I work, it's kind of like, I'll keep a tally on the side of the page how how much time it's like okay well I have to go do this right now so um, yeah drawing 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 okay that was about 45 minutes and then I'll go do whatever and then I'll come back to it so I just have a tally on the side of my my page that yeah. lets you know how long it takes and then usually um, uh, I'll flip it over at the end after it's all done and I'll write this total time on it so so later on if I decide to sell these pages and stuff like that you know if you get the page you'll flip it over and you'll see how long it actually took oh, wow. me to draw the page that's so cool yeah and so once you have all of your pages drawn out then what's the next process um, so after I finish a page I scan it and then I send it to uh, uh, my writers and then I'll add uh, the next the next part of the process is after the issue's done I'll start with color flats okay. so which uh, for people who don't know color flats are basic colors like you know your your shirts let's just say it's not checkered yeah. or uh, so it's flanneled so it's blue you know and your 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 shorts are gray you know so I'll do all the basic colors you know this wall is orange this wall is white so I'll go in I'll flat everything basic colors basic colors and then I'll send that to my colorist and he'll do the the highlights the shading the special effects and so he'll he'll finish the page off Wow, that seems so so, so detailed. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. So then uh, from there, while he's working on that, so after I get all the pages flatted, depending how much of a crunch time we're on, um, I usually do the lettering. I now have a letterist on the team, uh, Ian and Cabo. So, be, but before I had a letterist, I would have to do the lettering myself. So I'm wearing a lot of hats in this project. I'm yes. constantly like, okay, you're doing this, you're doing this, but now I have to do this, this, and this. So I'll go in, I'll do the lettering. Uh, so while uh, Joaquin, Joaquin's my colorist, Joaquin Pereira, uh, while he's coloring, I'll be doing the lettering. So, uh, and yeah. what does it mean to to letter th to those? Oh, uh, yeah. To I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, like, no, it's all good. It's uh, to like to put the word bubbles on the page, ah. and then the, the the dialogue. You know, whatever Ed's written, like I'll put it in the word bubbles, and then you know you place them in the page so it's so everything yeah. uh, looks good. Yeah, and so is that very detailed to because. I guess the fonts and whatnot, depending on the comics, are slightly different. But you're actually hand drawing. Oh, right? no, no, no! It's oh. all on the computer. Oh, okay. I, I would okay. have no time. All right, to do that. yeah, it would be crazy. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I'm doing Havelica. <laughs> yeah, let me let me look up. What is the Havelica A looks like? Okay, okay. So yeah. no, oh, so but, this is all okay. Yeah, this is all on a uh, Photoshop uh, or not Photoshop? I'm sorry, uh, Illustrator. Okay. So uh, for color flats, I do I use Adobe Photoshop. Okay. So I'll flatten. Uh, Photoshop and I'll send that over to him and then I'll go into Illustrator and I'll pull up a page and I'll do the lettering straight onto there. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then 
so while the colorist is doing that, someone's doing lettering, and then does it get put together at that point? Yeah, uh, so so what I'll do is, while he's coloring, and I get ahead of him, because lettering's faster than, than coloring, actually coloring a page, so I'll take the penciled scans that I had uh, originally done, and I'll bring that into Illustrator, and I'll just do the lettering on a separate layer, so it acts like you know tr a piece of transparent paper you're putting over the drawing or whatever. So I'll just put the penciled page in there on one layer, I'll put the lettering page on another layer, and then I'll do the lettering from there. And I'll just keep going, keep going, keep going till the issue's done. And then uh, Joaquin will be sending me the, the finished pages in, so I'll pull out the uh, penciled pages and I'll stick in the colored pages just to make sure everything lines up. And then I'll get those into a PDF form, and then I'll send that over to my editor, uh, David Louch. And then so from there, David goes, he prints everything out, he makes his edits and corrections and stuff, and then uh, he'll call me over, and so I'll go over to him. We'll have a little powwow, have our Moscato break, yeah. or whatever <laughs> over there, or beers, or, or diet cokes. Um, so we'll go over there, and we'll have our powwow, and we'll go through the lettering stuff, and we'll talk about the direction, and you know, just all the corrections that need to be made and stuff like that. Perfect. And so, just to jump ahead, you for the second shift, you did one successful Kickstarter campaign which funded issues one and two. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Can you talk about that? Uh, so that is, I feel like because of Kickstarter and other sites like that, that's made someone like yourself able to actually put this art into the world and into the hands of people without have, having to go to a publisher. So can you talk about right. what that was like to decide to Kickstarter and then the whole campaign? Uh, I'm trying to remember who told me about uh, the Kickstarter in the first place, but uh, once I was told about the site, I was like, wow, that's something I definitely want to look into. And, and they let me know that there was other comic books being uh, funded through there. Uh, at that time, there wasn't very many of them. So it was just like, oh, well, it's mostly like, hey, they're trying to make some new kind of gadget or a video game or, you know, whatever it is, right? And uh, they're like, there's less than, you know, 40 comic books on there. So if you can get in, you know, if you get your site up now or if you get your Kickstarter up now, you know, you'll have kind of like the inside track in a way and you'll probably get funded really easily and I was like oh that's something to look into but I lagged I just waited and waited and waited yeah. and then out of nowhere Kickstarter blew up and I was kind of freaking out I was like oh my god I don't think my books can get published now because there's so many other projects out there it's it's kind of like you know why would they pick my book over these books but uh, I, I was like you know what I believe in the project itself I'm like no no that it'll get funded you know I, I just I had a good feeling about it and I was just like okay I'm gonna put this up and, uh, you know, pro wrestling for 10 years, uh, I think, was it 10 years at that point? Yeah, I think I, I might have been in my ninth year, 10th year. Anyway, uh, so I have a built-in fan base. I was like, you know, I can speak to my wrestling fans about this. You know, you know, we're just in the age now where social media is huge. So uh, I threw it out on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, uh, for this, this Kickstarter on Instagram. But so for the first one, it was just mainly Facebook and Twitter that I was using as resources. Got it. And you ended up raising the money and then some. Was it um, pretty stressful <laughs> or, or was it a nail biter? Did you at any point did you think All right, this may not get funded? Um, it was very stressful. Um, it's very time consuming. Uh, I did my research, though, before I put the Kickstarter up. I was I was looking up ways to have a successful Kickstarter. So I was just doing research. I read a couple of articles. There was a really helpful article about a guy who successfully uh, Kickstarted, uh, I think, one project. But it was like 
he he hit his goal so quickly and like so much over that he decided to write how he did it and so he had a lot of helpful information in there and so i followed it i was just like okay i'm just gonna follow what this guy said because i mean he raised like 10 20 times what he needed so i'm just gonna do that um for the first kickstarter it was very stressful for 48 hours and then not anymore because we hit our total goal and we we hit our uh, goal on the second day Wow. So, so the first day I was freaking out. I was just like, ah, and I was messaging everyone and people would be donating and I'm like, oh, this is going great. People are donating and oh, and then I would still be, you know, $800, you know, a thousand dollars away. I'm like, oh, I still like, we're kind of, I don't know. Donations are slowing down. And then just out of nowhere on the second day, we were funded. I was all, whoa. And then so everything after that was like gravy. It was kind of like anything else that comes in, I'm going to be happy. And, cool. and we managed to get it all the way up to uh, 4100 Wow, that's great. Yeah. So that was the, – the total was for the first issue. Yeah. And so the fact that we got the first issue, you know, printed, you know, funded and everything, I was just like, okay, this is great. We're cool. And then we got up to 4000 I'm like, we can print the second one too. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Just, you know, two birds with – one cool. Kickstarter. Yeah, that's <laughs> so. awesome. And can you talk about how you've been able to market and keep your fan base going? Because um, now you have another Kickstarter. We'll talk about that one in just a second. But just in between those, how you've been able to just you know talk to your network and, and keep things flowing? Um, I will post art every day. I'll, I'll be I'll be out there on social media. I'm yeah. not going to disappear or anything like that. You know, like I'll tell my fans, like you know, don't. You, you guys don't bail on me. Don't worry. I'm not going to bail on you. I'll still be here. I'll say my weird things that I say on yeah. Twitter and Facebook or whatever. And I'll, po- I'll post food and drawing and, you know, whatever else I'm into. And, you know, I'll interact with them. Um, that's one thing I do more now than, than I used to when I was wrestling. Uh, I interact with, with my fans more. It's like I make sure to respond to everyone that, uh, you know, comments me. It's like when I was, when I was uh, wrestling, I actually... I don't know. I almost made it a point to not sometimes. Like I could totally have done that. How come I didn't respond yeah. to that guy? But I was like, ah, whatever. Yeah, you know, I'll get to him when I get to him. You know. Yeah. But but now you know you have more of an appreciation for them. Uh, you know that they've stuck with you uh, through the whole process. And it's like, okay, I stopped wrestling, but they still care about me. You know, I cared about them definitely a while. But you know, as a wrestler, I was just kind of like, you know, you kind of want to maintain a distance and a. Um, you know, like make the interaction a little bit more special. It's like you kind of got to come to the shows and I'll interact yeah. with you more. But, but yeah, I just make sure to interact a lot and post a lot of art and, and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. All right. This is all good stuff. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come all back, right. we're going to jump into the lightning round and we're going to talk about your second Kickstarter project. To kick off the launch of the Breakthrough Cocktail Podcast, we are throwing a contest. I'm giving away some of my favorite books that will help you level up your life. Also, one lucky winner will get a chance to join me at an exclusive Mastermind event here in San Diego in December 2014. To learn more and to enter, go to www.breakthroughcocktail.com slash launch dash contest. Good luck. Hey, Breakthrough Cocktailers. I want to take a moment and tell you about Compassionate. Compassionate is a global social movement and nonprofit that strives to make compassion a verb. It was started by my friend Sarah Shire, and her mission is to inspire you to take daily compassion actions. How does she do this? It's with her compassionate wristband. You start the day on the black side, and when you compassionate, you flip it to the white side. The wristband is only $10, and the funds go towards compassion training all over the world. To buy yours today, go to www.compassionate.com. 
P-A-S-S-I-O-N-I-T dot com. All right, and we're back. Breakthrough Cocktail. This is Scott Lost, and we're getting ready to jump into the lightning round. And while we were on the break, we went and actually got our bottle of Moscato to show you, uh, in case you were interested. Uh, what is it called? Cantina de Castigio. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the Cantina de is part of it, but it's a can, uh, Castigio. So, so it, it's delicious. Yes. So you should get it. And it's uh, 2013, which was actually a very good year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to jump into the lightning round. And this is when I start asking a lot of the questions that I asked all of the guests here in Breakthrough Cocktail, just to see how Scott thinks. First question, and I think I already know the answer to this. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Comic book artist. And you are. So <laughs> check. Awesome. Um, what was your very first job? My very first job, I worked at SeaWorld. I was a, a assistant manager at the Wild Arctic gift shop. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Next question is, how do you stay inspired? How do you, what, what things do you do to just keep you inspired? Uh, constantly looking at different art and just reading. Uh, one of the things, uh, I don't know if all comic book artists still do it, but I constantly love looking at uh, uh, new books that are coming out. And like when I was younger, it was more of like, oh, I like this artist. So I'm going to look at everything that this artist did. But now it's like I have to look at every artist to see what they're doing and to, you know, and then just kind of try to help evolve my thinking. Got it. So, yeah, constantly looking at art. Awesome. And are you a morning person or a night person? I used to be a night person. When I was younger, I was a complete night person. I am becoming an old man, and I am totally a morning person now. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I wake up at 6 almost every day, it feels like. And, uh, yeah, so. There it is. And being a morning person, do you have some morning rituals that you go through that helps you jumpstart the day? I like to start off my day drawing, actually. Yeah, that's one of the first things I do. You know, I get up, I get ready for my day, and I start off drawing. Like, that's the best way to start my day, like I feel. That's great. Uh, next question is, it's Friday, 7.30 p.m. What are you doing? Hopefully, hopefully hanging out with friends and going out and grabbing some drinks. Like, uh, out of any day out of the week, Friday is the one day where I feel like I should be outside. If I stay home on a Friday night, I feel I feel. I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I have to be out. I have to be doing something. That's great. Next question is, if you can have three songs that are going to be on the soundtrack of your life, what would it be? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, wow. Wow. I don't know. Wow. That yeah. is crazy. That's yeah, you don't have to limit it to three or uh, yeah. it can be as many as you want. Soundtrack of my life, huh? Uh, is it you two? A, a beautiful day. That's I feel like that. Like you know, I'll hear that song. Yeah. It has to be some Michael Jackson. Yes. There's got to be some Michael Jackson in there. Uh, I always say, like, if I hear Michael Jackson, my day is ten percent better than it was previously. Like at the minimum, potentially way yeah. more. Um, what else do we got? I don't know. I think some Islander music too. Yeah, cool. there's got to be some Islander music in there. Something mellow. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a mellow dude, so I think that would be a it would fit. Cool. And next question is: Are there any quotes or aspirations that you live your life by? Uh, that I live my not a, not a particular quote. No, I just you know just try to stay positive. I try to stay productive. Uh, I feel like 
if I'm not being productive, I'm wasting my time and like I'm a constant time manager. Yeah. I constantly like to be doing, you know, a couple of things at once. Like, like I said, drawing, if I'm drawing, I feel like I have to be listening to a podcast, taking in some knowledge that way or, uh, watching, watching some shows, you know, it's, you know, whatever it's like, Oh, Hey, breaking bad's really good. You should give that a look. And so like, I'll be watching breaking bad and drawing at the same time. So just, uh, constantly evolving and improving. Like that's cool. That's how I, I like to live it. Sweet. Uh, last question is if you can give one piece of advice to our listeners that will help them find their passion and live an awesome life, what would that be? Chase your dreams. Yeah, that's, that's how I've lived my life. And I'm, I'm a happy person. I'm constant. I feel good. You know, it's just like, as long as you're chasing your dreams, you're, you're doing it right. You know, if you're not, then, you know, it's all about the journey. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right. And so before I let you go, Scott, you have one more Kickstarter, yes. and by the time that this goes live, it will probably be almost over. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so it's a, a Kickstarter for, it was a Kickstarter for the third issue of the second shift. It's now a Kickstarter for the fourth and potentially the fifth. Uh, we already hit our goal for the third issue. It's already funded, so you know we're safe. So if we don't earn one more dollar by the end of this thing, then uh, we're good. The third issue will be printed, and then so whatever we make now goes towards funding the fourth issue and hopefully also funding the fifth issue, which will complete the first storyline. Great, and we'll make sure to have links to that in the show notes. And if someone wanted to get in touch with you, see your art, um, give us a few links, social media and whatnot. Uh, yeah, uh, our website is scottlostcomics.com. Uh, my Twitter and Instagram, it's the same. It's at scottlost, one word, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T. And uh, Facebook, I believe it's facebook.com backslash scottlost. Awesome. Well, Scott, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you for being on with us. And to all of you out there, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Breakthrough Cocktail. I'll have all the links and everything that you need to know in the show notes, but... Until next time, stay awesome. You've been listening to Breakthrough Cocktail. If you liked what you heard, be sure to visit www.breakthroughcocktail.com forward slash newsletter to sign up for the insider newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get instant access to exclusive content and frequent doses of happiness. See you there. Until then, stay awesome. Stay awesome.